Welcome to the IEEE Quantum Podcast Series, an IEEE Future Directions Digital Studio production. This podcast series informs on the landscape of the quantum ecosystem and highlights projects and activities on quantum technology. In this episode, Leos Hanzo, IEEE Fellow and Professor and Chair of Telecommunications at the University of Southampton, provides insights on applications for quantum communications and the role telecommunications plays. Leos, welcome. Thank you for taking some time to contribute to the IEEE Quantum Podcast Series. To begin, can you tell us how you got involved with IEEE Quantum and what is your area of expertise? Right, so I was very much interested in quantum communications and uh, I managed to get a nice and very competitive European grant, the European Research Council's Advanced Fellow Grant in Quantum Communications. And uh, this had me uh, get a little team together and work on quantum communications. And as an oldie in the communication society of the IEEE, I started a committee called Quantum Information Technology and Communications within the Communications Society about five years ago. And uh, this has grown to about 400 members, so there was uh, you know, appetite for quantum communications in the society. And uh, then I wanted to expand this really to the IEEE level, and I contacted a couple of like-minded people who are in quantum computing as opposed to communications and other aspects of quantum engineering. And so I am now part of the IEEE level uh, quantum initiative, which is a framework of about six societies or so. Great. So um, as far as applications go, where do you see possible near-term applications for quantum in your field of study? So this is a very astute question. Essentially, quantum key distribution and quantum cryptography is the closest to commercial applications, uh, almost like an off-the-shelf reality now, and uh, so there is a bit of a quantum race across the globe. The United States is, is states are very well positioned in quantum computing, but China is probably better positioned in quantum communication. So there's a bit of a, a sort of global race in this. And uh, so quantum communications is viewed almost uh, being synonymous with quantum key distribution, which is not a really new technique. Uh, it has its pros and cons, like everything in engineering. And uh, so one of the benefits of it is that it is backwards compatible with the existing classic crypto systems. It's basically just a key negotiation protocol in which you find a secret key and then you share it uh, with your communicating partner. And the rest of it can take place like in a conventional crypto system. So any of the uh, you know, mobile systems could actually fall back on using uh, the quantum key distribution uh, procedures. And so China has also demonstrated that now quantum key distribution in the famous Mises experiment, uh, which uh, was set up between two cities, 
1,200 kilometers apart using a satellite. So that's a very famous and uh, well-cited experiment. And uh, in the meantime, there is also over 10,000 kilometers long fiber links uh, between China and uh, Austria as well as Finland, where quantum communications is taking place. And finally, within China, there is probably several dozen quantum key distribution networks already operating in the realms of government. So you kind of touched upon it, but what, what about what types of research is being conducted related to quantum communications? So I started out really from looking at what is closest to commercialization. And uh, so there is a gray scale in terms of the uh, grade of challenge in uh, between uh, the blue sky research uh, where nobody has the answers and the realistic and commercially available boxes i actually have mentioned but uh, you can actually buy a box in russia and many banks have already bought that to provide uh, ultimate security so on the touching up on the research issues there are huge challenges in classical communications, it took about uh, 70 years, really, from Shannon's legendary paper back in 1948-49 until uh, today's era uh, to really reach the Shannonian capacity limits. In quantum communications, we just started this kind of work, and it depends very much on the amount of funding plowed into this area, how rapidly Uh, what I would call communications version 2.0, could be ramped up. And in the research uh, realms, really, I would probably look at a number of classes. Uh, My list would not be exhaustive, uh, but obviously we need information theoretic research so that we understand the limits of quantum communications and computing systems. And so this has been ongoing for quite a while between uh, both the physics or under the physics community's umbrella as well as the information theory uh, community. Uh, But we need more collaboration across these communities to determine the vast plethora of potentially different solutions under different circumstances and, and their capabilities and limits. So that's really kind of Uh, where we stand in terms of the limits. Then, at the other end of the scale, we're looking at the implementations, and the implementations are in their infancy. So there is a a powerful computer in, um, it's the D-Wave computer in Canada, and uh, that operates at 2048 quantum bits, but this is called a uh, simulated annealing type quantum computer. Uh, the more kind of uh, pure quantum computers, uh, which are being built by IBM, for example, are only around 50 qubits or so in terms of their capability. And so for a long time, we will need uh, quantum networks that can connect these quantum computers into more powerful parallel quantum computers with the aid of the quantum internet. So 
that is another um, kind of huge challenge at the other end of the scale. And then in between, there's a gray scale uh, where different grades of challenge have to be challenges have to be overcome. And uh, amongst these, I would just mention a couple probably. And amongst others, uh, basically the quantum search algorithms, uh, which are very powerful because their complexity is uh, potentially lower than the conventional classical search algorithms, can find applications in literally any field of computing, but for specific applications. So my team has been exploring uh, a huge plethora of different solutions within the wireless communications field for, uh, for example, multi-user detection at the base stations of mobile communication systems or localization schemes and so on. And so the second category perhaps uh, is uh, basically the improvement of uh, quantum computers uh, which would require very sophisticated and powerful quantum error correction codes. And so their benefit is that uh, the quantum state is extremely vulnerable to environmental impacts. Uh, anybody switching on the lights anywhere or any potential impairment in the vicinity can perturb the quantum states and destroys them, and so uh, they, they, we say they are collapsed back into the classical domain, and hence you no longer can manipulate them in the quantum domain. And the quantum codes can... Uh, correct these quantum flips. Uh, it's basically the flipping of the bit value as well as the so-called phase value of the quantum information. Uh, but the challenge with these is that they themselves have to rely on what I would call greasy, dirty hardware, namely the hardware itself, which implements the quantum codes to correct the quantum states is also based on imperfect hardware. And so this is what needs a lot of further research again. And then uh, uh, there is a, a huge variety of other problems uh, also in the security area, because I briefly touched upon the quantum key distribution problems. However, uh, there is a new, um, or, or at least uh, somewhat newer, uh, protocol than the uh, the uh, Brassard uh, BB84 protocol uh, because that protocol can only exchange keys and ne negotiate keys, whereas what we really, really want to do is actually transmit the information in the quantum domain. And this is called uh, direct secure quantum communications. Uh, which is credited to the name of Professor Guilu Long in Tsinghua University in Beijing. And this method is very promising because for the first time it facilitates basically the transmission of information securely over the quantum internet. And it can also circumvent the problems associated with quantum memories. So, you know, these three pillars perhaps uh, are so fundamental for further improvement. Can you speak more about how telecoms play in the quantum space? Well, 
it can always be employed as an extra layer for security. And so basically, I think in the next um, half or uh, maybe the whole of the next decade, uh, we'll see the proliferation of these uh, secure quantum communications networks. And uh, they will probably develop in parallel to the quantum computing uh, solutions. And so their secure linkage will play, play a very important role in building the quantum internet. How feasible is it to combine QKD with classical 5G and 6G systems? What are the pros and cons? So potentially it's compatible with the existing systems and it's a, a question of uh, whether there's sufficient investment into developing these existing protocols into uh, hardware uh, which can then be employed in the existing uh, wireless systems. Is it possible to design true quantum domain networks which go beyond the secret key negotiation-based QKD protocol? Well, the short answer is yes. And uh, so this is, again, the quantum secure direct communications protocol I briefly touched upon. Uh, of course, this requires quite a lot of further research, and uh, I allude to the next question on the list as well, because uh, potentially a limitation of these uh, systems is that uh, there is no long-term quantum memory available in the current era. And uh, many of the systems, including, for example, uh, long-haul communications networks, would require repeaters. And uh, at the repeaters, we would have to recover the signal, uh, then store it, and then retransmit it. And so the creation of quantum memory is ever so important. However, uh, there is also research on uh, using quantum secure direct communications, which uh, would allow us to use quantum links between classical repeaters. And that is a very important research area because it creates, again, a sort of uh, smooth pathway from the current existing networks, the classical networks, to quantum networks until reliable long-term quantum memory becomes available. In the current era, many people simply just use a certain length of optical fiber for storing the quantum information, but of course this is bulky and uh, it's not as neat as uh, having a memory or a chip, for example. So that would be a hybrid computing system, correct? That's right, yes. So we would use uh, quantum secure direct communications uh, between the repeaters, and then uh, we would recover the classical information, and then we would send it on. Of course, there are still challenges because uh, the eavesdropper could have access to these quantum repeaters. And so even now, the eavesdropper wouldn't be able to uh, really read the quantum domain information, but might have access to the classical relays. And so this is why this is a temporary solution until a better quantum memory is uh, developed. 
And then uh, the final question here was, what are the pros and cons as well as future prospects of quantum codes? Yes, so again, it's something that I very briefly alluded to, namely that they are capable of really correcting quantum domain errors, uh, but uh, their so-called coding rate has to be relatively low. To give you an example, in general, in classical systems, very often so-called half-rate codes are used where the information is um, encoded into about 100% redundant information. So if you have, uh, say, for example, a one megabyte file that would be encoded into a two megabyte file uh, with the aid of 100% redundancy. But in the quantum domain, uh, we can have not only so-called bit flips uh, that are also encountered in the classical networks, but also phase flips. And so instead of using uh, half-rate code that is very popular in the classical systems, we now need two half-rate codes. And so effectively, this would be like having a quarter-rate code. And the result is that we end up with a relatively high overhead. After all, nobody's interested in the redundancy in the so-called parity bits transmitted for protecting the information. Our only goal is basically to recover the information, but we use the parity bits or redundant bits in order to achieve that. And so the coding rate of the uh, quantum codes is uh, potentially very low. And uh, another uh, kind of disadvantage is that uh, their employment uh, has to rely also on realistic uh, quantum hardware that is uh, prone to the deleterious effects of quantum decoherence. And so we need codes that are inherently error resilient, and this needs still further research uh, in order to make quantum computing more reliable and um, allow us to carry out long, uh, time-consuming computations, because at the current state of the art, the typical coherence times over which a quantum computer produces um, a reliable results is, is very short. And hence, we can't just uh, set off the computer to solve uh, a complex, challenging problem and then come back a day later and and read out the result, uh, we have to deal, we have to sort of chop up the tasks into very short, uh, short uh, sub-problems, if you like. Okay, so is there anything that we haven't discussed that you would like to add? Well, it's an extremely promising research area, and it's very complex. It, it really touches up on, it's inherently multidisciplinary, so it touches up on physics, uh, the physical principles, uh, engineering problems in terms of the hardware, both uh, computer science-related problems as well as information-theoretic problems. Uh, there are solutions which are based on what is called cryogenics, namely the science of extremely low temperatures near uh, zero Kelvin. Uh, but it has also fantastic applications. You could see uh, under the ground, you could map out potentially uh, with ground-penetrating radar 
uh, where all the pipes and uh, wiring goes under New York City. And uh, you could also uh, have fantastic high-resolution microscopes, etc. So the future is very bright. Uh, depends on the amount of funding, how quickly we can get there. Thank you for listening to our interview with Leos Hanzo. Learn more about the IEEE Quantum Initiative by visiting our web portal at quantum.ieee.org.